back to the Master Pods. This is a short podcast series that gives master students in sustainability a chance to talk about their research. Today, we're chatting with Julia Schwab, who is also part of our MSD program. Her research looked past the environmental impacts of mining and focused on the social impacts on local communities, as well as the commitments of the mining company to their corporate social responsibility policies. While conducting her study, Julia traveled all the way to Chile and did some ethnographic research in the field there. Here she is to tell you more about it. Hi, Julia. Thanks for coming on the show. Hello. I'm glad to be here. So following my brief introduction, can you give us a little bit more information to help us get a better handle on what your thesis is all about? Yeah, sure. So my research was about a conflict between a village in Chile in the Andean Mountains and one of the largest largest copper mines there that just operates next door to the village. So my ethnographic fieldwork concentrated on the socioeconomic impacts of this mining operation onto the local community, as well as the development of the resource conflict over time. And as the mine is located in a kind of semi-arid climate, and Chile is experiencing a super drought during the last 10 years uh, due to climate change, access to clean water and affordable water has become one of the biggest concerns for the local population. So, um, yeah, that's like advanced like to one of the main topics of my research as well. Um, but overall, I looked at the power dynamics within the village and also, yeah, I analyzed basically the conflict between the company and the local population. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sounds like some very interesting research and so cool that you were able to get firsthand experience by working directly with the communities and looking at their power dynamics right there with them. Yeah, totally, totally. Perfect. So before we get into the research portion, uh, I'm going to ask you a series of quick personal questions that you can try and answer in three words. Nice. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So what is your name? Julia. Where do you call home? The Black Forest in Germany. Where did you last go to school and what did you study? That was in Heidelberg and I studied anthropology in my major and history in my minor. And what is your primary focus in sustainability? I focus on the social as I'm an anthropologist. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which word did you use the most in your thesis? Yeah, I researched that before. So it is community and I used it like 450 times. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) But I'm really happy about that because I also looked up the name of the mining company I researched about and it was just 350 times. So I was like, oh, yeah, wow. it's good that I focus more on the community than on the mining company. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Shows the priority. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is the best way that you learn to deal with a thesis breakdown? Uh, walks in the forest, uh, sports, but also like phone calls with my sister, for example, where I just vent off all my anger. Amazing. You need that like support buddy, like emotional support buddy. <laughs> totally. Yeah. What is your uh, favorite sustainability tool? So like a book or a podcast or a movie or? I am not that a big like follower of like podcasts or newsletters or something like that. But I really like uh, the Netflix series Explained and several times they had uh, sustainability topics as well. But in general, Explained is about like many different topics. But yeah, I think it's really concise how they explain really complex topics. Yeah, they do a great job. Explained is so cool. Um, So what is a piece of advice that you have for future master thesis writers? 
probably choosing a topic that they're really interested in because at one point everybody gets so frustrated, like no matter why. So, and I think the topic can keep you going. That's yeah, that's a good perspective. Um, and finally, do you have a sustainability tip? I guess uh, taking more of the train or the bus or the ferry instead of flying. Uh, so I tried all the time, like when I went back from Sweden to Germany now during my studies to take like not the plane. And um, yeah, so of course, not always it was fun to like drive around for 24 hours in eight different trains. But um, <laughs> you get to talk to a lot of different people as well. And um, <laughs> yeah, so it's possible. That's nice. And I, you can probably get a lot done in the 24 hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have to change too much to trains and the means of transport. And you can see the countryside, you know, it's kind of a nice way to to travel, I think. Yeah, it's nice. It's a slow way to travel. Um, perfect. So that's all I have for the uh, rapid fire round. So now let's dig into your research. So to start with, what's the main problem that you're solving with your research? And how are you solving it? The thing is, I guess I'm not solving any problem. I'm just like pointing out uh, the complexity of a topic and address like yeah, address like this complexity and make it more visible. So I focused on the stratification processes within the community I visited and um, relate these stratification processes to the arrival and the operation of the mining company and take on like a historical perspective from the 1960s up to today. So I draw basically a whole like historical um, evolvement of the conflict and then I look at the impacts of the CSR and the participatory spaces between the mining company and the community and have like several questions there. Like, are there unforeseen secondary impacts? Does the CSR has the wished effect and outcome actually? And how does corporate sponsored development materializes for the community members? So I did as we already said, like ethnographic research. So I was basically traveling to Chile and lived there in the village for around two months in total with little interruptions in between. And then I was just like living my life there, basically. So I was going to the roundtable meetings of the community and the mine. I did participant observation there. So I was sitting basically in the meetings and writing down what I'm seeing. Um, also like drawing how the room looks like, who is speaking, who's sitting where and everything. Um, having a bunch of informal interviews, like just like everyday conversations, also in-depth interviews where I actually recorded the interview and sat down with several community members. During these interviews, uh, that was really interesting because I tried to do my research like in a little bit more participatory manner. So I used Venn diagrams. So I was basically asking the the interviewees to name all the different actors they know in the village and write them down on little papers. And then they had to assign to every paper, like every actor basically, a different size circle. And this would then represent like the influence or the power this group or actor has within the village and this is how I could like map out like the power dynamics within the village and actually see like yeah how certification process actually evolve like who who has the power who has like economic power for example who's like socially like well recognized 
and who's not. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. Wow. Like you were really hands-on. Yeah, it gave me, it was so easy then to talk to the people and just ask like, oh, why, why are you mentioning like this group or why haven't you mentioned like that group, for example? And then they would like explain and give me reasons and talk, like tell me all these stories. Mm -hmm. And I got to understand way better how the village actually works mm -hmm. and how people think as well. Yeah. So what were your results then? Like, what did you find through all this research? One of my main findings was that the history of this whole conflict is so complex so it all started like back in the 60s with the agrarian reform and then the military dictatorship under Augusto Pinochet in 1973 and all these things that happened like 50 years ago are still influencing so much what's happening now in the present because um, it was a real, really filthy acquirement of the mining deposit by the mining company. And because it was acquired during the military dictatorship. So basically, the state and the mining company back then, they worked together and forced the people in the village to sell the mountain range where all the ore is uh, deposed. And yeah. That was like such a traumatizing experience for the people there. And this was then basically informing all the rest of the conflict. Like still nowadays, people keep on telling the story about like the forced selling and all the promises that were made that they will get like the best health care, um, schools, university and everything. And like looking back, like I think like, oh, that's so naive to believe that. But then like thinking that, most of the people back then were like illiterate and well, there was basically the police force standing next to them, threatening them like with a gun to sign the paper. So it's like, yeah, I guess people just had to sell it in the end. This like traumatizing like background story then informed like the rest of the conflict. And um, nowadays it's still like a back and forth, like between like dialogue, which we see like in the participatory spaces and conflict so there are like every year there's at least like one big roadblock if not several where like certain groups in the community mobilize and just take the road like the entry road that goes to the mine and then um yeah try to build up pressure basically against the mining company for their demands and they have like different demands sometimes it's about like creating jobs or um social demands to like for more investment in the educational realm. There was like a environmental episode, so like a pollution event. And then they take the road to say like, oh, you have to clean up this mess, what you cost. And that's the way like how the community reacts when they don't think the dialogue works. So it's really interesting, this perspective, because we can clearly see like there are participatory spaces, but they're not really working as well. And that's why the community feels like they have to go to the street and be kind of violent and light fires and everything to be heard and seen because they feel like they're not taken seriously or not serious enough in the participatory spaces. That's so crazy. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of action going on for being that a small village of a thousand inhabitants. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. And this is just one village. I'm sure this is happening throughout if they don't have the right corporate social responsibility, then, you know, all these people are going to feel overlooked and they're going to have problems with it. 
Yeah, the in the case of Chile, actually, most of the mines are located in the desert. So actually, mining companies don't have any problem with anybody because nobody's living there. So now that mining is like moving every time further south, where there's like more population, these kind of conflicts get more and more common as well. Mm -hmm. All the problems like the communities, for example, facing, it's just overwhelming at one point because you have all these environmental problems. But then at the same time, like the community members, they start fights under each other. So they blame each other and they say like, no, you receive like more benefits than I got from the mining company and so on. It's crazy, like how you see like this kind of victim mentality to develop. So people get really frustrated and negative about what's happening there and I could feel it like in these two months like sometimes I felt so down because I I felt so pessimistic about their situation even though like I could still see that there is some kind of hope and there's still a possibility to change something of course but um, yeah it's really characteristic of this victim mentality of the community that they're like keep getting like disappointed and then this anger is like building up and building up but at the same time they're like blaming themselves for not being capable to confront properly and demand yeah in a more effective way I guess. So, yeah, and the mining company, of course, like, even though it's not intended, they benefit from this, like, vicious circle that's going on there. So just they just sit there and then they agree to, like, the demands, but um, are happy if the demands are not, like, written in a really, like, legal manner and really accurate wording. And so these are then, in the end, like, the loopholes where they they can, like, sit and just, like, lean back, basically. The CSR is then, in the end often like criticized because yeah it's not targeting like the common good just like is very superficial and basically like follows a trade-off mentality so that the mining company for example paints the school but not address like core issues like water air and soil pollution that's very frustrating yeah i can imagine that was very challenging that was one of like the biggest challenges like during the research but also very like I also see it like as a benefit to experience all these feelings because in the retrospective, I could then see like what was happening with me living there. And that was just like a glance of like understanding how they have to feel after being in this struggle and conflict for 20 years. Yeah, it really made me like understand how they like why they act like they act. Yeah. Absolutely. So what drove your interest in this topic, this really loaded topic? Uh, yeah, so for the past uh, 10 years, life keeps drawing me back to Chile. So um, when I got to know my supervisor, who is from Chile, I approached her and asked her for possible research projects there. And then this idea of this project uh, was born. And yeah, at first, like I was not that interested in mining, like when I started with this program, but then um, we had a really interesting lecture on it. And then I started to be like fascinated by the topic because obviously like mining will never be like a sustainable activity. Like we take out or off the ground and it takes millions of years to rebuild. So it has nothing to do with sustainability, I guess. But at the same time, there is no way to think of a world and a future without mining. So I really, yeah, I think this tension and the non-existence of a, like a straightforward answer to this uh, is really interesting to me. 
So then when I heard about this project, I was all in. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so do you have plans to apply your research to the real world? Or do you expect to stay in contact with the communities and develop further upon your research? Or Yeah, so I'm still in contact with the community and especially with the family I live there. And yeah, I translated last week, finally, my thesis into Spanish so that the people can actually read the whole thing. And I'm still waiting for their comments and their hopefully constructive criticism of my findings. And I really hope it's going to like help them in one way or another, even if it will just be like a chronicle of this conflict. I think it's so important to document this and make communities like this one heard and seen because nobody will ever document this. So I think it's very important to put a spotlight on this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so my last question is, how would you describe the future of sustainable development based on what you've experienced in your research? So I feel like the sustainable development um, is just like another fashion within the development discourse in general. Yeah, overall, like the, there's a lot of like evolutionist terminology within it to like to measure progress, for example. And it's so Eurocentric. So there's like this contradiction in the whole term of like sustainable and development, because development follows like this idea of economic growth by sustainability is not necessarily just economic growth. And then in the end, when you try to like balance like ecological and social sound solutions with economic growth, this is like not, it's not really working. And I feel like often economic growth is then favored over the other two. And people don't really understand like the complexity like of this whole discourse. And then that there's like a inherent contradiction in it. I guess like it's not enough to focus just on like one of the three pillars or not even on two, but it really has to be all three of them. And it's all about making a compromise, I think, because we will never like reach sustainability because it's like, it's an ideal we have to aim for. It's like a utopia, but we can just orient our policies and CSR measures, etc., on it. Yeah, that is such a, good way to word that. I think that is essentially, I think you just summed up our entire Master of Sustainable Development program in a few minutes. That was so, oh, thank you. so yeah. on the nose. I think that's so true. That is the future of sustainable development. Those are the issues with it. That's, you know, it's, it is very Eurocentric and Western centric. And I totally agree that, yes. I have a similar quote in the end of my thesis. It's beautiful. It's like, um, why we need utopia and that utopia causes us to advance in the end. Like, because you make one step towards it and then it shifts back two steps, basically. So you will never get there because it's just like the horizon is just like shifting away from you. And then the question in this quote is like why we need it. And yeah, the answer I already gave, like it causes us advance and that's why it's so important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. That's so good. And such a nice way to end your thesis too, like really bringing it back. Yeah, I had to end the thesis on a positive note because I also felt like writing the thesis, like there's so many problems. But at the same time, when I was there, it was not everything just doom and gloom. There was like hope. And I really think the community can make it for a better future. So keep positive. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. You need that kind of optimism, as you said, to just keep moving forward and keep having something to look towards. Mm -hmm. So my final, final question of the podcast is what was your favorite memory or the most valuable skill that you learned in our Master of Sustainable Development program? I think the most valuable skill is um, 
teamwork. I guess the program like taught me how difficult and challenging it can be to work in a team and really like work together and not just like pretending to do so. But at the same time, it, this is so much fun. Like when you then once like get into the flow with your teammates and everything, it's so good. And I can really see the benefit of it because I feel like in the German educational system, you do most of the things alone or you're supposed to do and know everything. And I think it's really nice like that here in Sweden, it feels different. Like you don't have to know everything. It's fine to rely on other people and be in this process like together. Yeah, that's yeah. And my favorite memory, I think, like the first thing that popped into my mind was like the MSD bingo. Uh -huh. We, I think we never really played it, but I thought it was just such a funny idea. Yeah. And I think that's just very emblematic for, like, I don't know, like how the humor of the the people in our program and I don't know, we got just so well along with each other. It was always so much fun, just like the everyday, like going to school, not necessarily because of the lecture, but to hang out with everybody. Yeah, definitely. Really nice group of people. Yeah. 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 Well, um, that's a nice note to end on. So that was it for the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us on the MasterPods today, Julia. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Um, so all the best for the future of your research. And um, yeah, until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. This podcast was produced by Laura Messner, Rachel Grudin, and Olivier Houston. This episode was hosted and edited by Rachel Grudin. We'd like to thank today's guest, Julia Schwab, for sharing her research with us. A big final thank you goes to Jacob Rosane for providing us with funky music. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. We'll be posting new episodes every Wednesday. If you want to talk about your research or know someone who you think should present theirs, please feel free to shoot us a message. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.